0: Lauren. Mike. Lauren, how are you paying for things these days? P2P, BNPL, good old fashioned CC.
1: Are you using all these abbreviations because we're a tech show and tech companies love to abbreviate things?
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm using all these abbreviations because I'm trying to be hip.
1: That might be worse. <laughs>
0: okay. What I'm actually really fascinated by is uh-huh. this whole trend of buy now, pay later and how techies are trying to disrupt borrowing.
1: They are, in fact, trying to disrupt borrowing, and we should definitely talk about this.
0: Let's get to it. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Kalori. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
1: And I'm LG. I'm an SW at W.
0: (laughs) Awesome.
1: (laughs) I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. I'm trying to abbreviate everything. So a lot of
0: us have got money on our minds these days. It's the end of the year. The holidays are here. Inflation is still making it all sting. And of course, there's all the online shopping. If you're doing any of it, you have surely noticed all of those options that let you buy something now and pay for it later. And when you check out on a web store, you'll see offers from companies like Affirm, Klarna, and Afterpay, all giving you the option to pay for things in installments rather than all at once. This is the rise of Buy Now, Pay Later, BNPL for short. And yes, it's yet another way that big tech is trying to disrupt your wallet. Lauren, you've been reporting on Buy Now, Pay Later for a while, and you've just talked with Max Levchin, the founder of a firm. He also happens to be a co-founder of PayPal, along with the guy who owns Twitter now. So what is you- that again? <laughs> huh, yeah. Did we forget already? Yes. So what have you learned about Buy Now, Pay Later, both from Max and from your reporting? How does this work?
1: Well, if you've seen an option to use Buy Now, Pay Later at the point of checkout online and you haven't used them before, then what you probably don't know is that most of them will break things down into um, installments over, let's say, eight weeks or or six payments over approximately that amount of time. And part of their appeal is that they're pretty immediate to use and that during that short period of time, if it's you know a short loan, it's generally 0% in interest or fees. Um, there are going to be fees eventually if you take on a longer term loan. Or, of course, if you default on your payments, you might eventually get charged fees. But they're supposed to be appealing because of how uh, you know relatively easy they appear to be to use, how quickly you get approved for these loans, and they don't have some of the financing fees that are associated with credit cards.
0: So, is it really no interest and no fees?
1: I mean it is for a short period of time. Right. Yeah. Like in the case of a firm, which is the company I think we're primarily talking about today, I have used a firm before. I used it to buy an area rug for my bedroom and it was broken an area down rug? an area rug. How
0: is that like a throw rug or is um, it like bigger than a throw rug? It was rug? bigger
1: I think it was an eight by ten. Okay. And it's so
0: not a small purchase,
1: not not a small purchase, but not like I mean, it wasn't a Persian rug, you know, right. it wasn't something that was super, super expensive, but it was just I was actually curious about a firm. And so I thought, let me try this instead of using my credit card, which. Like a lot of people have it, you know, stored in their Apple wallet at this point, or it sort of autofills in your browser if you're Mm -hmm. using Google Autofill or Safari, you know, Autofill. And it's like really easy to buy stuff these days with a credit card online. But I just figured, let me try a firm because I want to see who actually serves this loan. Like, what is the bank providing the loan? What's the fine print? How much am I going to owe? And sure enough, it was just the, you know, the area rug was paid off. The money was sucked out of my account. It was it was tied to a traditional debit card, um, and it was sucked out of my account over four payments for zero percent.
0: Oh wow! So it's automated. So the the payments just hit at regular intervals, you don't have to go and initiate anything, You
1: can set it to do that, yes. Oh, you can And you'll get a notification and there's also an app, like a firm has an app. So you could just go into the app and manage it that way.
0: Okay. So how is this different from a credit card?
1: Yeah, this is like a great question (laughs) because it's the number one question that that people have. Um, Well, there are going to be certain people who use credit cards, let's just say more responsibly, right? They pay it off every... 15 days, 30 days. They really want to avoid the high interest rates, the APRs, the compounded interest over time. Mm-hmm. And they sort of treat it just like, "Hey, I need I need to like buy a flight, so I'm just going to put it on my credit card, but I'm going to pay it off as soon as I get my next paycheck." Or I'm going to use my credit card to stack up points, but I know I can pay it off at the end of every month, right? But then there's definitely a certain customer of credit cards who just carries a balance all the time. And those fees can be pretty high. Like If you let it go for a few months or longer, in some cases, you could end up paying, what, 19%, right? So you end up paying a lot just to, in some cases, just to hold the credit card itself, if it's one of the sort of premium credit cards. And two, you end up paying interest if you just can't pay off your entire balance at the end of every month with buy now pay later they're offering a little bit of uh, like a longer term loan like you could take as long as you know 3 months or something to pay for that item or items that you want to buy for 0% And in many cases, the banks that are actually providing the loans, like a firm has these bank partners that most people have never heard of before, like Cross River Bank or Celtic Bank, right? This is not like Wells Fargo Bank of America, JP Morgan, because they have their own buy now pay later services now. Um, So you may never heard of these banks before. What you're really interfacing with is the tech platform, Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay, PayPal and Four, and they're sort of like providing all of the service of the payment, too.
0: I see. So they're kind of acting as a broker. Yes. Between two parties. Yeah, they're a
1: middleman. They're a platform. I see. Yeah. And they're making Tech money- companies love platforms. They call it <laughs> platforms these days. <laughs> they do. Yes.
0: And they're only making money on the longer-term payments.
1: Ah, uh, this is a good question. Yes, they do. They make, they make money if you take out a long-term loan or if you default and they have to collect fees. But another way that they make money is they actually charge- the merchants that they work with mm. to provide the loans for them. So here's a great example. During the pandemic, a lot of people bought into Peloton. But a lot of people would also look at a Peloton purchase, a, let's call it, I think it was a $2,400 bike or a $2,000 bike, depending sure. on which one you got, and say, I can't, I can't pay for that all up front. Like front and center on Peloton's webpage was finance this for I think it was 18 months or 24 months with a firm, zero percent. Right. And so Peloton would pay a firm a fee for every time someone bought a Peloton and financed it through a firm. The merchants want this to happen because they'd rather have you, you know, Mike, not walk away from the purchase and say, I don't want to buy this. They want you to buy the bike. Um, and fine, a firm will take on the loan, take on the risk. They'll handle all of this. We just want you to buy the bike. So the merchants will pay a service like Affirm or Klarna to basically work with them or like be listed in their app, for example.
0: I see. So normally if you're getting a loan or even if you're getting a credit card, there's a credit check involved. Yeah. Uh, is there a credit check if you want to pay for something with Affirm or Klarna? And does that affect your credit at all if you don't pay it back in time?
1: Yeah, there's a soft credit check that happens at the point of checkout. You get approved or not approved pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to say in minutes, if not seconds, in my experience. Um, Everyone's different, of course, because everyone's credit check might be run differently. So it's this interesting combination of it's a soft credit check. It's not a hard credit check. But also there's like a lot of tech and machine learning involved in that really rapid... Yeah, yeah. So, like a firm, like one of the things that Max Levchin will talk about a lot with a firm and how he believes a firm is different from some of the other buy now pay leader companies out there is that they underwrite their loans, which means we do this, you know, sort of rapid analysis to figure out what your credit score is. Um, whether or not we think that you are at risk of defaulting on this loan, how much of a loan we should extend to you, like what's the amount or the max amount that you should pay. Um, And this all happens like in seconds using machine learning. So it's both like a soft credit check and sort of a deeper analysis of what your like your whole credit picture is to determine if like you're a good candidate for a firm. And then eventually – even though it's a soft credit check, it's not a hard credit check. Eventually, yes, if you do like keep defaulting on these buy now, pay later payments, y- it will affect your credit score.
0: Right. And it'll probably also affect your ability to get more buy now, pay later stuff.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes. No more Pelotons for you in case you want like six of them.
0: So in your interview with Max Levchin, he mentions that he like really hates credit cards. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm sure part of this is coming from the fact that he's like, a founder of this company that's trying to upend the credit card industry. But also, I mean, he really has to believe that credit cards are bad and that his system is good in order to make it work. So break down this hatred for us.
1: Yeah, it's it's very real. He has very much positioned a firm as the anti-credit card company. He's blogged about this before on a firm's blog. Um, there's sort of a surface level answer to that, which is yes, it's it's marketing and positioning of his his tech company. Um There's another answer that's like a little bit longer that sort of takes us back into the days of the early 2000s and then the 2008 recession, which is that broadly speaking, Americans love we love our credit cards, right? A lot of us have credit cards. Currently, we have like this huge national Debt, this huge balance on our collective credit cards, but that ebbs and flows. So there was this period of time in the early 2000s. I don't know if you remember this, but like I was, I was graduating undergrad in the early 2000s, and there were financial pundits like Sue Orman. Who oh, write sure. entire books on- The lady on, with the hair. Yes, yes. Why you should basically like leverage your life with a credit card if you are just starting out and can't afford your rent and why it's a good idea to build up this credit to debt ratio and start taking out credit cards. And then like in the 2008 financial crisis, there was sort of a reaction to that and consumers started to get wiser and realize that actually borrowing is not necessarily always a good thing. Like we've been taught to like build equity Um, But it's really easy to sort of get over leveraged in, in, you know, and that was like a reckoning that we had as a nation. Then during the pandemic, when we were getting stimulus checks, our collective credit card balance in the United States went down significantly. People started paying off their credit card bills and now they're back up again. So we do have this relationship with credit and credit cards here in the United States that's like it kind of flows in and out. And so I think when Levchin started a firm and this was in um, it launched in 2012, you know, this was as we were emerging from the financial crisis of 2008 and rethinking the way that we borrow. And I think he just saw it as like a way to reformulate or, yes, hashtag disrupt our traditional credit card system. And this was the approach that he decided to take.
0: All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how that's going. So the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is basically the watchdog for the lending and banking industry, uh, they've raised a few eyebrows at these buy now, pay later schemes recently, haven't they?
1: Yeah, that's one way to put it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, last year, the agency opened up an inquiry into BNPL. It has warned consumers that these programs could potentially lead them to overextend themselves financially. Tell us a little bit about this inquiry.
1: Yeah. So there are some concerns that buy now, pay later, as easy as it is to use, is a little too easy to use because the... Loan, the extension of the loan happens so quickly at the point of checkout. It takes you know seconds to get approved or not approved. it's It's right there next to like enter your credit card number, pay with Apple pay, pay with Google pay, or mm-hmm. like here's here's a firm or buy now pay later, right? it's It's all so easy to use um, that I think there are just concerns that consumers could get into a little bit of hot water with it. And in particular, some of the concern is around younger people. So um these may be people who are technically adults. But maybe they don't have a lot of disposable income at this point in their lives. Maybe they're just starting out in their careers, and they're seeing, you know, lots of products these days. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't mean to sound old, like those kids are seeing all these <laughs> products. But it's true, like that, you know, you see things on like Instagram and TikTok and influencers that are like totally hawking these products and saying you have to buy th- this bag, this product this that's this water bottle. right <laughs> this water bottle and um and it's really easy to shop these days directly from social media so you've got this sort of path of like here's a young person who wants the latest thing they're clicking on this link they're being Taken directly to a web page and, oh, by the way, just pay this off in four payments for 0%, right? You don't even need to use your credit card or your parents' credit card if that's what you're using. Um, so I think, yeah, there have been some articles written and some concern expressed about the ways in which young people in particular might be exploring this as an alternative to traditional credit cards, but aren't necessarily building up the right kind of credit to start either. And so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is just keeping an eye on it, has been just sort of tracking how these companies are operating. It hasn't taken any kind of official action yet, but I think it's you know wants to just keep an eye on it to determine if this is something that's problematic.
0: I will say that the ease of that path where you can just click a button and two minutes later, the thing is like you know being boxed up and sent to you and you haven't yet paid for it. That kind of turns me off. Like I understand how that's attractive, but I think it also could be hindering the growth of these companies. Because I'll tell you what, I have been using credit card for decades. I understand how they work. I have one of them, as you said, already in my phone and already ready to go and autofill. But when I see like a firm wants to buy it for me and then have me pay them back, I'm thinking like 0%, okay, what's the catch? Mm -hmm. Because like buying something has always come with the responsibility of paying it off or else getting hit with interest payments, right? So like, what's the catch? I'm skeptical. About using it, and it's prevented me from using it up until. So
1: you have not used a buy now pay later service at all yet,
0: right? Okay, right. Just because I'm like that is clearly that is the psychological hurdle that is holding me back from using it. Where I'm looking at it and I'm thinking like, yeah, it's not really zero percent, is it? You know, and like, yeah, do I really want to step into that world and get entangled in another financial system when I already have one that I'm that I've been using that I'm comfortable with? You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's very real and very valid. And it is so interesting because there are some credit cards that really don't have super beneficial terms. And yet, if they have a brand bank name attached to them or we've been using them for years, we're just sort of like, ah, eh, these are the terms, right? Yep. And like, if you do a side-by-side comparison, by now, pay later services might, and you know that you could pay something off in four payments, it might actually be a better deal. But yeah, there is that hurdle that like, oh, what's what's the catch? Free money, what's the catch? I mean, another thing that you you would end up dealing with if you did use one of these services, I've used both Klarna and Affirm, is that you're just in their email marketing loop like until the end of time. (laughs) Because I've gotten, particularly now that it's the holidays, I've gotten so many emails from them just promoting so many products. And like one of the emails I got was actually kind of dark. It was like when, you know, from a firm and it said when the holidays are coming and you're supposed to be thankful, but you're hosting and you're not very thankful I talked to Max Lepchin about this and said, you know, the subtext is like, you're broke, but you're supposed to be hosting. And to me, that's like, are we supposed to be using buy now, pay later to buy food um, are, are people are we, using we, it to buy groceries? They are, interestingly enough. Yeah. So some of the Black Friday, Cyber Monday data that has come through so far um, from some of these services, I got notes from Affirm and Afterpay. Um, Afterpay indicated that actually food was one of the bigger categories for Buy Now, Pay Later during this period. And that's an interesting shift, right? Because it's it's not, oh, here's a 21-year-old who's um, spending a lot of time on TikTok who wants to buy the latest sneakers. It's actually people are using Buy Now Pay Leader increasingly for things like fuel and food. And so when you look at the terms of the lending, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, we don't really know yet. When you think about it sort of societally, it's an interesting time we live in when there are people who are really struggling to have their basic needs met and are turning to these relatively new, you know, decade old consumer lending systems that are backed by tech to provide those needs.
0: Yeah. So it's it's kind of like Uber and Lyft, where those companies have a really hard time being profitable, but that's okay because they're financially backed by venture capital.
1: Right. It's kind of like back in the 2010s, this kind of frothy era of technology, particularly here in San Francisco, where we live. Our pal Kara Swisher always says it's like assisted living for millennials here in San Francisco, right? Because you just have all these services that will do anything for you. Laundry, food delivery, ride sharing, whatever it is.
0: Find you a date.
1: Find you a (laughs) date, right? Or find you a scammer on Hinge. But yes, but but companies like DoorDash, Uber, Lyft that have had a really challenging time turning a profit but are so heavily funded by all these entities um, that we are basically as consumers benefiting from this relatively new structure that's in place in society that is like funding our rides, right? And so you do have to wonder about buy now, pay later, and uh, long-term profitability, and what their businesses look like in a really serious downturn, and how much that quote unquote free money will continue to flow, and who ultimately is like funding our purchase of the thing.
0: So you talked to Levchin about what the world would look like if people stopped using credit cards and started using buy now, pay later services. And he has a pretty rosy view of this future, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's just so anti-credit card. (laughs) He was very on the message when I posed the question of what does a society look like when we're buying all of our things on buy now, pay later versus credit cards? He was just like, well, that's great. I yeah, mean, better than credit cards.
0: I mean, he has skin in the game, of course, right? So we can't really trust him to, to paint any kind of skeptical scenario. But what do you think would happen if they really did succeed? Not just Affirm, but Klarna and all, the, all, Afterpay, all these companies really did succeed in like replacing the credit card as the traditional way of offsetting financial responsibility for something to the near future for most Americans.
1: I think what you see is then more fees start to emerge mm. maybe in different ways. Because what a buy now pay later company has to do is strike this delicate balance between what they're charging merchants to partner with merchants and like handle their transactions and what they're what they're charging consumers, if anything at all, or eventually charging consumers. And in the event of creeping interest rates, if interest rates go up again a serious downturn, people stop shopping in 2023, whatever may happen, a company like a firm or its competitors are going to constantly have to manage that balance to figure out where they're going to get money from. And so who are they going to cater to more in that kind of dynamic, the merchants or the customers, the consumers, people who are clicking, you know, Afterpay or Klarna or whatever it is at, at the point of checkout? You know, and right now, a firm says they only have about two percent of the e-commerce market, so there's a lot of room for growth. Mm. So as they grow, where does that cost get shifted? I wouldn't be surprised if it was more on the consumer. Um, then again, I'm not running the business, so I don't right. I don't know. But I imagine, yeah, over time, there have to be more fees or more ways to just get more people onto the platform, yeah, you know, baked in in ways we notice and in ways we don't, probably.
0: So maybe what we need to do is uh, watch now and find out later.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like the thing that your editor, Mike, never wants you to write at the end of a story.
0: (laughs) I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I guess we'll just wait
1: and see. Oh,
0: boy. (laughs) That's my favorite thing to cut out of any story. All right. Let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. All right. Welcome back. Lauren, what is your recommendation?
1: I was really hoping we would start with you because I feel like I've been talking a lot.
0: You have been talking a lot because you are our guest. But of <laughs> the, course, the rules of the show dictate that the guest goes first. So.
1: Okay. My recommendation is Dead to Me Season 3.
0: Very nice.
1: Did you Have you finished it?
0: Finished it last night.
1: Uh, oh, you did?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Dead to Me is a show starring Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. Among other excellent, I know Mike just put his hand to his heart. Who does not love Judy? <laughs> Everyone loves Judy. There are some other fabulously talented actors in it, too. James Marsden. uh huh. Like, wow, that guy is. He has range. Of, so he so he has a recurring character as well. Um, he actually played twins in the show. But Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate play uh, the best friends. These middle aged women who met through a, a grief support group and uh, murder ensues. You know, if you go back to season one, you'll catch up. So they end up basically being in cahoots trying to cover up this murder and their friendship blossoms as a result of this. And it's this really, really deep, funny, but deep like friendship that I think like happens because they're these two middle aged women in this situation together. It's like a really it's really funny, uh, but it's also like a really beautiful friendship. And season three is the final season. Christina Applegate has been having some really serious health issues. She's in public about this. She has multiple sclerosis. Yep, she was diagnosed in 2021, and they shot the si- the final season, the season three, with her sort of like finding her way through this disease. So there was a lot of um, blocking that had to happen in order to uh, to shoot it, and it's like remarkable that she that she did this.
0: Yeah, a lot of scenes with her sitting in a car or at a table. Not yeah. a lot of scenes of her like walking around.
1: Yeah, like bursting through doors and that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but and they sort of find interesting ways to work it into the storyline. Um, but but she not that specifically, but um, she does a fantastic job. The whole cast. It's a really great show.
0: I think the casting is key for the show. It's really great Mm -hmm. to watch these two actors really just like stretch. But also the tone is really interesting because it's a mystery and it's a comedy and it's a like uh, a drama. I wanted to say I wanted to use the word like blubbery drama like there's a lot of tears in the show, but it's not really that blubbery. Uh, so it's kind of interesting how they mix it all together. And sometimes like every, you know, there are a lot of shows that do this and it usually just feels silly or kind of forced, but this show does not feel silly even when it is. And it does not feel forced, even when it's being like almost melodramatic, kind of teeters right on the edge of melodrama and then pulls you back with jokes. Yeah. I really liked it. I thought it was, I thought it was really just a nice beautiful three seasons.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. That just when it gets to the point where it could be melodramatic, something happens that is deeply weird or funny mm-hmm. or literally the the kitchen ceiling crashing in, you know, yeah. like and and it all ties back really well. Like it's really well written. These yeah. little plot points that show up again and again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it takes place in my hometown. No, oh, really? Yeah. Wait, Laguna? Laguna Beach. Oh,
1: wait. I, I think I did not realize that Laguna was your hometown. Yeah,
0: but that, I grew up in that whole part of the world. Dana Point, Laguna Beach. I mean, Gale, I know we, ta- we
1: talked about surfing down at Dana Point, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. hmm Was it actually shot there?
0: Uh, Most of it. Like, the, yeah, the exterior scenes, yeah. I don't know where they shoot the whole show, but the locations are all locations that I'm intimately familiar with from my teenage years.
1: So great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those shows that you kind of don't want to leave... You want to just be in it. Yeah. And you, you told me about it. Was it two years ago?
0: I think I recommended it. I think
1: you recommended it during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Oh, we could talk about this forever. Let's just make this the Dead to Me podcast. <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation?
0: So I'm going to recommend a podcast that I was a guest
1: on. Oh, yes. Can I do that? Yes, you can. All right. Shamelessly well, self-promote.
0: I mean, you know, I'm sure if you listen to this show, you don't get enough of me talking. So you have to hear more of me talking, but you can hear me in the hot seat. I think it's fun. Uh, the show is called Select Five, and it's hosted by my good friend, Pam Torno, uh, who's a DJ, DJ Pam Chop. Uh, we have done DJ gigs together. That's how we met. Um, we've become friends over the years. And she has hosted this podcast for a few years where she invites a creative person on, either like a musician or another DJ or somebody who just has like a creative profession, to talk about five songs around a specific theme. So you know it could be like the five songs that remind them of where they grew up, or it could be like some sub genre that they're really into. Uh, She asked me to be on the show. We tossed some ideas around and we decided to talk about sleep music because I'm obsessed with music for sleeping. I have been listening to music falling asleep as long as I can remember my entire life. And through the years with uh, the radio era and then CDs and then streaming, the types of music and like the songs that I've had access to have changed a lot, grown mostly. So um, I sort of have gone on this journey of like the music that I listened to to fall asleep 10 years ago, five years ago. Now, uh, has all, it's all represented in the talk. So we, we talk about the selections and we talk a little bit about my life. And it's fun because it's way different than what I normally talk about into a microphone. Which is tech, which is yeah, technology, and you know we were going to talk about technology on on her show as well, but um, we just ended up talking about sleeping.
1: <laughs> Can you give us a sneak preview of some of the things that you recommended, some of the tracks?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, there's a Brian Eno generative piece in there. Uh, I talk about the Max Richter piece, Sleep, which is like an eight and a half hour long album classical album that's uh, intended for you to listen to while you are asleep, it's good times.
1: I really need to try that. My current sleep music is, hey, Google, play ocean sounds <laughs> for hours on end.
0: You just triggered everybody's nests. Sorry, but enjoy the, the
1: ocean sounds.
0: <laughs> uh, yep. there's no There's no white noise in my selections. But there are some uh, fake rain sounds in my selections. You have to listen to the show. Select 5 is the name of the podcast, and I'm on episode 19. You'll see my photo.
1: What happens if you travel and you don't have access to a speaker in the room that you're staying in?
0: Um, I usually just use my phone. I'll just play something on my phone and put it down next to me. And true story, one time I tried to log onto the hotel Wi-Fi, and it logged me on. And then at some point shortly thereafter logged me off. And then I turned music on and went to sleep and woke up to an alert saying that I just used two gigabytes of data. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Was it a good night's sleep? Was it worth it? Nope. <laughs> oh, that is the worst. <laughs> it's like, yeah. That's I mean, music streams aren't usually that heavy. Well, right?
0: I have everything cranked up to extreme because I can't stand crappy audio quality.
1: <laughs> just the highest quality. Only the best. The best.
0: <laughs> Only the best for me for for my little precious ears. <laughs> the princess and the highly compressed P
1: oh my god <laughs> that's a great recommendation thank you I really need to use this as you know I'm not a good sleeper
0: yeah uh, I'll I'll set up some playlists for you
1: okay thank you Mike are... hears me say this every time I'm coming to the office how are you doing well I didn't sleep well last night <laughs> per usual
0: try listening to music <laughs> alright well that's our show for this week thank you all for listening Lauren thank you for being on the show
1: <laughs> thanks for having me on my show <laughs> This is really fun. I love it when it's just the two of us.
0: Yeah, right? We could we could talk about anything for an hour and at least two people would be interested <laughs> inside this room.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> if you have any feedback about the show, you can find all of us on Twitter. For now, just check the show notes. Our producer is the very handsome Boone Ashworth. <laughs> Goodbye, and we will be back next week. Hi everyone, welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Kalori. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
1: And I'm Lauren Judd. <laughs> <laughs> J- J- <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> I can't even pronounce my own name. What's wrong with me? All right, let's back right, up. Okay. Let's back up. Okay.